If you will take your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to congratulate the class of 2023. What a beautiful and amazing graduation event we had at Colton High School yesterday. And a number of accomplishments of that class, um, both academic, athletic, and extracurricular. What a great group of kids, and we're excited for their future. And this is, this is often just a real special time for me. Every graduation is a significant time for me to pause and to reflect. For some of us here, you can think back to those days where you finished high school and you're ready to start the new chapter of your life. And, and maybe that chapter didn't start the day after high school ended or, or the day that you walked graduation. It might have started a few days later or maybe even a few months if you were looking at college or some other destination. We have some a young man going into the Marines of our graduates and I commend any of those who go in and serve our country in the armed forces. Um, but over the last 23 years, I've been given opportunities here and there to, to speak, whether it's at baccalaureate or at the uh, graduation event or here at church. And one of the topics often that comes up is advice to graduates. Advice to graduates. And so this morning, I was kind of mulling that this last week, and this morning I wanted to take you down part of my own memory lane. Some of you know me fairly well. Some of you don't know me at all. And with every one of us, every one of us has not only a story to tell, but many stories to tell. And some of those stories are, are, are good. God has somehow taken our lives, whether it's all the chaos, all the muster, um, all the mistakes, all the failures, all the successes, all the victories, and brought it together. And we are here. We're here at this point today. And, and so here are some of my reflections I want to share with you this morning. First of all, I'm proud of my kids. I want to say that I'm proud of my kids and I hope you guys are proud of your kids too. I'm sure you are. Um, in general, I don't really like the word proud or pride. The, the Bible says in James chapter uh, 4 verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God prefers humility over pride. Um, that's a parallel that comes from Proverbs 3, verse 34. So the Old Testament and the New Testament carries that same theme. God opposes the proud. Um, but there's two predominant definitions of proud, according to Oxford Dictionary. The first one is having or showing a high and excessively high opinion of oneself or one's importance. We're not into that. The second is feeling deep pleasure or satisfaction as the result of one's own achievements qualities or possessions, or those of someone with whom one is closely associated. See, I, I take pleasure or satisfaction not only in my kids' achievements, but more than that, their character and their conduct. And, and you know, I could care less about possessions. How, how much do you think God cares about our possessions and how much we own, other than that it can be used for His glory and for His purposes? God cares about that. But God cares more about the content of our character, the quality of who we are and our behavior. I want to give a lot of credit with my kids to my wife, Jackie. 
who stays at home with him and raises them and, and has really contributed in a mighty way uh, to who they are. But in thinking and reflecting, and, and I have no offense, but people come up to me all the time. Your kids are just great. Your kids are wonderful, this and that. And as I think about it, and I mean this, I really give a lot of credit, not only to God, but to you guys as a church. And to me, it's their commitment to being a part of the church, part of the body of Christ, whether it's attending regularly or serving faithfully, being present. You guys here have built in, whether you know it or not, have built into their lives. Now, that's why it's important as we think of the church, the body of Christ, it's made up of people. It's not the building. It's not the comfort of the pews. It's not the color of the carpet or the stained glass windows. It's who we are together in Christ. And there's a lot of dysfunction in our lives. There's a lot of dysfunction in the church. But, but one of the aims and goals and that I've really been thinking about this lately is how can we be a healthy church? Bring it down to the personal. How can I be a healthy person? Bring it down to the role. How can I be a healthy pastor? But as it relates to you and each one of us here, as we go through life and as we worship together, we are building into the lives of others in ways we may not even know. And when somebody says, your kids are wonderful, they're outstanding, it's not only their mom, maybe a little of their dad, but I give a lot of credit to God and His church and you guys in it. It's a big deal. And so I, sometimes I just wanna say, come on people, be part of God's church, be part of God's family, be part of his kingdom, and God himself will transform you through all that as you seek him. But we see in life, growth, it's not in a straight line. Usually growth in our lives tends to be messy. Our lives tend to look more like that than that straight line. And God takes us how we are, and he makes us, you picture the caterpillar going in it, its cocoon. We go through stages, we go through seasons, and maybe you've gone through a dry season. Maybe you've gone through a dark season. Maybe you've gone through a searching season, and there can be, even in the Christian life, there can be this searching where we know what's right. We know what we should do. But maybe you feel like you've tried that before and it's not working. So you decide to take a shortcut off the path. You ever go on those hikes and you see the, the shortcuts on the trail? You know, it's doing the, what do they call those things? The zigzags and Switchback. switchbacks. And boy, that's a lot faster. I'll just climb up that and erode the soil a bit more and destroy the forest a bit more. And then later on, you kind of come back and you see the damage or the consequence of doing that. You know what? Thank God for His grace. Thank God for His grace. And as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. I, we all turn out like butterflies, right? Our kids are like butterflies. This morning, my, my sermon, it's, it's titled Pass It On, but I could also try to happily title it To Your Success. To Your Success, because ultimately what I would desire for you and what God desires for us is that we have a successful life. That's the whole point of God's Word and what He wants us to receive from it. So as we go to this next... Um, 
segue in the message, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I could pray, give me the words to say. I know it's written down on paper, but God, I pray more than that, that you would speak to our hearts. Oftentimes it's your Holy Spirit speaking through a still small voice into our minds. Regardless of what the preacher is saying, it would be more valuable today that you tug on the areas of our heart and life where you want to do the most work, where you want us to yield the most surrender, where you want us to express the most gratitude and praise, where we reflect with thanksgiving, where we trace back our own, in our own mind, our own memories, uh, the, the people that have shaped us and helped make us and have influenced us. And God, how you brought us to be to this point. And maybe at this point, we're just saying, man, God, I am a mess. I'm a wreck. I don't even think I can be useful or used. But God, often it's in that broken state that you do the most important work. And I just pray that you would be about that today. That you'd speak beyond my voice and you'd speak through the noise and the clutter of our hearts and lives. And in some way, draw us closer to you that we might be conformed to the image of Christ, the character of Christ, the quality that you want to see resonate from our lives. Speak through your Holy Spirit. Speak through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See, some of you know quite well that I moved around 13 times in the first 18 years of my life. And so for me, it's a little bit of an anomaly that I would be living in Colton, Oregon since 20, or 2000. I almost said 2020. But for 23 years in one place. And, and they say that there's value in that, that there's stability in that. And yet I also wrestle with the fact that God's got great people wherever you go. And God will use you and help you grow no matter where he leads. In those first 18 years, my father was either a, a, a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, a Sunday school leader, a principal. Sometimes all those things all at once. And so there was no question about having a godly foundation instilled in my life. That was one of the blessings and the benefits I received. And wherever he went, some people God moves frequently, others he keeps in place. Wherever he went, God used him in mighty ways and continues to do so. He's one of the, the best, if not the best Bible teacher that I know. And so my dad has had a pro profound influence in my life. Um, just to plug in, next Sunday is Father's Day. So I'm saying my thanks to my dad now. And next Sunday we will have the John Abraham Band come and lead us in worship. So tell all your friends and invite them. It should be a, a very special time. And we've got a very nice gift for all the men and all the dads. But I also want to thank both of my parents for the opportunity to be here today. For without them, I would not exist. Um, but without their influence, without their tutelage, without their upbringing, who knows if or how I would have grown up to know the Lord. God uses a number of people, a number of circumstances. But their tutelage, their upbringing, their suggestions help lead to my call 
in ministry. See, I was a valedictorian in high school. I was student body president of the, the school I went to down on the Oregon coast. And, and that earned me a spot my senior year right before graduation to go on the local radio station. And I was interviewed along with another young man and, and they said, well, what do you want to do? And there was a, a young lady there too. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? And being a smart aleck, I said, well, after high school, I plan on going to France and picking grapes for the summer. Never did it. Should have. It sounded good on the radio. But I actually went to college at a Christian university to become a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer because it sounded important and you could make lots of money. And the first semester, halfway through, I became disillusioned with pre-law. Just... Lost my interest. But when I got into the college, I had walked on campus and there was a big sign out there saying Ute 201, Y-O-U-T 201, Introduction to Youth Ministry. And I had room for an elective. I thought, well, that sounds kind of fun. And so I signed up for it on the spur of a whim. And these three men, uh, these four men, I'm, I'm talking about the men in the colored shirts, not the one in the white shirts. I don't even know who they are. But the men in the colored shirts, uh, Dave Adams, Dave Marston, Doug Bramlett, Matthew Wilmington. These four men became mentors and inspirations to me as I went on my journey. Became disillusioned with pre-law, so I threw it aside. And youth ministry was exciting, and I said, this is where it's at. Uh, growing up in a small rural church where they could barely afford their pastor, I knew that youth ministry probably wouldn't be a good financial livelihood, so I decided to take psychology. And I studied psychology, and I got my degree in psychology, and, and there too, God had incredible professors who were incredible um, influences in my life. But growing up, God used these circumstances to move me and to call me in the direction he wanted me to go. But even before that, in the, in the church my dad pastored down at the Oregon Coast, Beaver Community Church, great people. Uh, for our, in our high school, we had youth group. And our youth group leader, we had Jerry Powers, who hosted it out of his home with his wife, Gloria. And then at times, there was uh, his son, Steve Powers, was our teacher. And then Dave Powers, uh, his other son, helped out. And, and then there was a, a gentleman named Jan Varney and his wife. What was her name? Mrs. Varney. Mrs. Varney. <laughs> Jan Varney would come and the message was always on the Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ. Great message. Good times in the Word. But I was there, not always for the Word, but for the women. The girls, you know, that... that so we would play this game where they formed two lines and at the end of the line would be an apple or an orange or a ball and at the other end of the line would be a coin. The game was called electricity. They'd flip the coin and you'd be joining hands and at the other end would be that apple or orange and you, whoever grabbed it first. If it was heads, you'd squeeze the hand of the person. Your hands were behind you. And whoever could get to the line and grab it first. But sometimes people would squeeze thinking it'd be heads and it was tails and then you'd end up grabbing the apple, and it, but you got it wrong, so you had to go back. And I like the game because you could hold hands. So you had to use some strategy, if you know about that. Um, 
there was a lot of good teaching. A few little games. It was fun to, when youth group was over to go out and shoot hoops and, and have the social mingle time. One of the things lacking with the youth group, I felt, was activities where we could go out. Because I grew up in a small town, a small community where if you didn't go out to the wild kids parties on Friday night, you often felt alone. And so at some point in my youth group career in high school, I decided I wanted to plan an activity. It was going to be an all-nighter. Overnight, we'd go roller skating, and we'd go bowling, and then we'd go on this midnight hike on Cape Mirrors. That was fun. And we'd stay out all night, and then we'd have breakfast in the morning, and we did that activity, and it was fun. And then I think I borrowed my dad's car at some point, and I drove to Lincoln City. And I found that this a couple weeks ago when I was cleaning through my garage. I went down to Lincoln City, and I was going to plan this giant scavenger hunt. So I went into all these businesses. For some reason, there's a lot of matchbooks in here. I don't know if you can see it. Um, but I was going to plan a scavenger hunt. Go find a matchbook. Go look for a brochure. Go get a bumper sticker. Things they could get for free. Go grab that pen off the counter. The, the pens that they were giving away, I'm sure, at the hotel. But um, we never played that scavenger hunt, by the way. We just kept the stuff in a bag. But... There was this desire on my heart where God was molding and transforming me even before I went to college. And even before I'm here today. And that's why when I think of to your success, God wants success. He wants to mold and work in your lives for your success and his glory. Who has God used? And who is God using to get you there? What has God used? And what has, is God using to get you there? And so there was U201 and then the next course, I don't know if it was 210 or 301, but Dave Marston, I remember, I went from Doug Ranlett being, Doug Ranlett being the first teacher and then uh, Dave Marston being the next one. And he focused on, I mean, the whole semester could be summarized in this verse, 2 Timothy chapter two. Verse 2, where the Apostle Paul writes to the younger man, Timothy, and he says this. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men, the New International Version, the new New International Version, says entrust to reliable people. When Paul writes this and says entrust it to reliable men, he was talking as a leader of the church man to man, who will also be qualified to teach others. And so Paul is basically saying, I want you to take everything I've taught you, everything I've handed down, everything you've learned or heard from me, and pass it on to somebody else. And in an apostolic way, Paul being an apostle, Paul being one of the trailblazers of the Christian faith, who helped it branch from outside of Jerusalem throughout the rest of the world at that time. This was significant. A significant mandate. And in, you know, imparting instruction and wisdom. Take what you've learned and pass it on. Because if you fail to do this, guess what? It dies. It stops there. It doesn't get transferred. It doesn't relate. And, and 
Paul's ministry and his message centered around the gospel of Jesus. There was no question about that. See, Paul was very, very candid about his testimony. Paul was candid about his testimony. And if um, we go to chapter 3, I thought I was going to go to Galatians, but this is fine. If we go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, just a chapter over, Paul says this to Timothy. He goes, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know all about me. I've told you everything about my testimony and what God has brought me through. See, if you, if you were to go to a chronology of the epistles of, of Paul's writings, 2 Timothy is the very last one. Written around 66 BC, and Timothy is a young man who had joined Paul on his second missionary journey about 15 years earlier. So Paul and Timothy have known each other a long time. And when they weren't traveling together and doing ministry together, Paul was leaving Timothy here and there. He was leaving Timothy behind to oversee the churches. Paul was the church planter and the trailblazer. Timothy would be assigned to stay as the nurturer and the pastor to oversee those ministries. And with this being the last epistle, Paul is nearing the end of his earthly life, the end of his earthly ministry. He's seeing that light at the end of the tunnel and it's a train coming toward him because he would die possibly as a martyr. I don't know if scripture fully reveals how Paul died. But the point is, is he had to pass the baton. He needed to pass it on. The things you have heard me say and trust reliable men. Well, all about his way of life, his purpose, his faith. Have you told somebody about these things, about you? Sat them down and said, well, let me tell you about my way of life. Let me tell you about my purpose. Let me tell you about my faith, patience, love, endurance. Let me tell you how God has brought me through suffering. Let me talk to you about perseverance and why you need to endure. Paul was very candid about his testimony. Last Monday, Pastor Carl was out of town and he asked if I'd go over to Pheasant Point. To, they do a church service every Monday at 1.30. And so I hustled over there and I, I got into the room and, and with many places, Tony might know this too and I'm sure my dad knows this very well. You go to minister, you go to serve, but you never know if anybody's going to show up. There could be many, there could be a few. So I got there on time, I went up to the room and they go around through the nursing home and remind people in case they forgot, even though every week it happens, that there is a church service. Man came into the room, it was just him and I. He introduced his name, I introduced mine. I, I said, so tell me your life story. That was, it was interesting where he started because he started in his youth. And that's how we began. 
Another person came in and it was just the three of us. And so that church service that we had together and, and Brian and Laura went with me the, the time before had a special significance. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, why don't I do this all the time? And if I'm going to do what Paul says here and pass it on to you, why don't you guys do that too? To go in to those places, those lonely places. Anybody doing prison ministry these days? Anybody going to McLaren Youth? Anybody going to the streets of Portland or Salem? I know somebody is. And just being present with those people and share with them your teaching, your way of life, your purpose, your faith, your patience, your love, your hope, your endurance. Jesus Christ. But see, Paul's life wasn't always like that because he also was very candid about this portion of his life in Galatians 1, for example. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that I made up or that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. If you turn to Acts chapter 8, we're not going to turn there, but you could read about it. Acts chapter 7, going into chapter 8, chapter 8 verse 1 says this, And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. See, Paul was part, part of the murdering crusade and the first martyr of the early church, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7. But Paul, even though that was part of his past, traded in everything for the purpose of following Christ. He shares more of his testimony in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4b. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He goes on to say, for I consider everything a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He traded it all to follow Jesus. And if you were to read Paul's testimony in the book of Acts, how God grabbed him and got his attention, Jesus shows up. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He fell blind, things like scales were on his eyes, he was led. But he turned his life, he gave his life over to the Lord in conversion. And God grabbed him and got a hold of him and used him. And you guys are sitting here today and each one of you has not just your story, but several stories. Some of them are good. God wants to grab hold of each one of your guys' lives and He wants you to receive wisdom and teaching and instruction and He wants to use you to impart wisdom and teaching and instruction to others so that we can pass the baton and so that it continues. See, I always remember when I was in, um, what was it, sixth grade? Uh, we were at this race, maybe it was fifth grade, we lived in Kansas. We're at a, a race and track. One of the teams showed up and they didn't have a baton. So, <laughs> so the official says, well, go over there to that brush pile and 
get a stick. And they had to go over there and break a stick down. Now they got this jagged stick, you know, and how little branches poke at you and it jags you. That team didn't do too well in the race. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't quite prepared. Uh, recently, my son Benjamin went all the way down to, to, to Salem and we got to see the state track meet. And it, it's exciting to watch runners run the relay race. But there was this team that was competing for stage and they dropped the baton. The thing went jumbling and bumbling and they, they couldn't quite chase it down and they had, they had to cancel themselves out of that race. My son Caleb and I were taking a walk around the track the other day just for fun and, and fitness and he was reflecting on the story of Regis. Their relay team came in light years ahead of the other teams running that relay race. But the problem was is that when that baton was passed, they scratched. The guy over there went a little too far before connecting with that baton. And they were disqualified from the race. They could have gone to state and probably placed. And so how we run the race is, the race of the Christian life is so vitally important, but it's not impossible. If you follow the rules, if you discipline yourself through scripture, and if you rely on the power of God. We're going to see that here in this passage. But Paul, very candid about his testimony, but he traded everything for Christ. That was, that was the secret to Paul's success. And I look at my kids, I look at you guys, that's going to be the secret to our success in life, is trading it all for Christ, first and foremost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, just to kind of see how this theme of 2 Timothy 2 ties together with the rest of Scripture in Paul's epistles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 17, in writing to the church of Corinth, he says, For this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, his son in the faith, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. There's a challenge for us Christians is that when we come to Christ, God wants us to be consistent in our faith. He wants us to follow Him completely. As people, we will not. We will make mistakes. We will err in our ways. We will do the wrong things. We will have to come back again and again. For repentance, confession, and forgiveness. But you know what? Praise God for His amazing grace. And as brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, He wants us to extend the same. Repentance, confession, and forgiveness. What's wrong with that picture is when those aren't practiced or extended. And then hatred and anger and bitterness remain. And people had a lot of reasons to be bitter and resentful toward Paul. In fact, he wasn't at first widely accepted when he first came to Christ. And uh, even the Jerusalem church was very skeptical of who he was. But there were guys in the church, people like Barnabas, who came alongside the encourager. Hey guys, this man is converted. He's changed. 
And you might be just the kind of person out there that sees somebody who is hurting and comes alongside and helps them and takes them under your wing and says to others, hey, this is our brother, this is our sister, welcome them here. See, as people, we're people. And as churches, we can be, we can have our, our problems. We can be faulty. But in Christ, we're forgiven and we need to do the same to be a healthy church the people God wants us to be. So Paul and Timothy, they've known each other for about 15 years. And Paul tells his testimony, this was my life before Christ, I was a persecutor. But now, I'm a preacher of the gospel since I've been saved. What's your story? What has God brought you through? What has he delivered you from? Where is he working in your life now? How has he transformed your character and given you purpose? How has your faith been tested? Where have you struggled through suffering? How have you learned to endure? Or maybe you're saying, guess what? I am drowning right now and I just need somebody like a Paul or like a Timothy to come and bail me out. Paul is passing the baton. Now, Paul the Apostle, Timothy the Pastor. And I was doing a search in my, you know, I don't look or sometimes I don't act like it, but last month I celebrated my 30th year in ministry, okay? 30 years since cemetery. And um, went back through my old files. Have I ever preached a sermon focused on 2 Timothy 2 verse 2? And I couldn't find it, which is kind of... Maybe I never have. I may have included it, but not focused on it. What I did find was an interesting sermon I preached back in 2007 that talked about the many hats and roles of a pastor. And, and pastoring a small church, you may have a tendency in a smaller churches. And I'm saying this to you as lay people because some of you are ministers and servants and from without the title of pastor are also taking on the role of a shepherd overseeing the spiritual life and health of a group of people. Here are the different things a pastor can do. A pastor can be a shepherd, taking care of the sheep, a teacher. This completes the background to the lesson. A motivational leader, a communicator. I like this way, by the way. A coach, an authoritarian figure, a janitor, a funeral director, Bible scholar, a commander, a small group leader, a counselor, a greeter, a youth leader, visitation leader, a referee, a prayer warrior, and just in general, a leader. But a pastor is not Superman. Pastors fail too. Pastors make mistakes. They don't succeed at everything they try. And sometimes their sermons kind of drop like a thunk in the bucket. And many times what a congregation wants is they just want the pastor to be a friend. Just to come alongside. Sometimes I think it's probably not fair to say this. There's one person, when we started True Life, there was one person in the church in the very early days. It invited me out to go jogging on a Monday morning. 
And that person is one person who has the only standing appointment every Monday morning turned into a walk and talk because I failed at jogging. <laughs> Some people are saying, I wonder what you feed them. The angels are looking down and saying, what? And then there's the church. But one of the things I did not have on my slide is that one of the jobs of the pastor or of the leadership team, and it says in Ephesians 4 that he gave some first to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers um, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up. One of the primary jobs of either a pastor or a church leader or a leadership team should be to develop other leaders. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He says, to your success, Timothy, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to reliable people or men who will be qualified to teach others. If we as pastors don't preach and teach in a way that can be passed on, and if you guys don't teach, take what is taught and what you've learned and pass it on to others, it falls just like dirt on the ground. It just falls with a thud. Sometimes I wonder if one of the best practices a church could have is take notes during the pastor's sermon and during the week your assignment is to go out and tell someone. Share that, what you've learned. Last week, Pastor Rod was saying, mentioning another ministry where at the, I think it was last week or the week before, at the end of every service, you pause and ask God, okay, what would you want me to do next? That there's this portion of listening and practice. Putting in the practice. Our faith in the practice. Now I'm probably going to put this link up on our Facebook post. And if you're watching online, you're catching this too. Pastor David Guzik of Calvary Chapel and Enduring Word Ministries. Preparation for the sermon. Sometimes I go on to podcasts or YouTube and hear what others have said. And I really liked his sermon and I debated maybe we should just sit here and listen to him because he's probably better than me. But I can post that online and you can catch him too. So just some nuggets. When Pastor David Guzik spoke on this passage, he started actually with 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. And when you listen to it and you think about what he says in chapter 2, verse 2, it makes complete sense. Because he starts in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, and he says this, What you heard from me, keep as of the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He goes on to say, you know how everybody in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. But just some notes on that first part, guard. And Pastor David Guzik actually was using a different translation where the word guard is, is, is translated in English, hold fast. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ, guard the good deposit. When you have to hold fast to it, hang on to it, it, it indicates somebody or something is coming after it. That there are things in this world, things in our life, and things from the enemy that might threaten not just the foundation of our faith, that want to draw us away from the faith, that want to take it away, that what God has given to us, that growth, that life, that hope, 
There are forces out there that want to take it, and our job is to hold fast and to guard it. We've got to be faithful, because if you don't, do you realize what's at stake? Sometimes when one person falls, it leaves a ripple effect, a domino effect of other people kind of becoming discouraged or disillusioned and saying, I don't know if it's really going to work. If it's worthless or, or whether it's worth living for. Paul felt that it was worth leaving everything of the old life behind to follow Christ. And Paul is leaving Timothy and David Guzik says it's kind of like leaving Timothy in charge of a bank or in charge of a store. You're going you're gonna to retire. You're going to resign. You're, gonna, you're going on to that final stage. And Paul's toward the end of his life. He says, Timothy, I want you to, to, to guard this. You, the good deposit entrusted to you. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. And, and that word pattern there, right? On, on Facebook, you have those little Facebook reels, those little Facebook things. And there was a, a Christian one that I stumbled into, and it was a gal. And she, she was behind the keyboard. And she said, listen as I play. And she played like three simple chords. She said, I'm going to play it again. Dun, dun, dun. And then she said, now listen. And she went, duh, and she let it pause. And then she went to the next one. And she added a couple little fingers of the same chord. But the way she played it had a different rhythm. It had a different pattern. It had a different flow. Same chords, the same music. But it had this different pattern in how it came across. And this is what God can do to transform us in in a sense of if we're really flat, duh, duh, duh. But he comes in and he takes those same chords. He takes who we are and who he's made us and transforms us in this pattern, this rhythm that is full of melody and harmony and richness in our lives. Or would you rather play the lottery? Um, David Guzik emphasized being faithful even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. And he, Paul writes, you know, everybody in the province of Asia has deserted me. They've abandoned me. When he says, Phygelus and Hermogenes, it's almost like, watch out, Timothy, for these people. Not good people. They're going to come and try to undermine you. Or try to damper your faith. And he goes on to say, may God show mercy on the household of Anisiphorus. Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Then he goes into chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. There was something else though, verse 14. Guard the good deposit, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Are you aware of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life? Because what I want you to think about today, what I want you to consider is how you might pass on the baton as well as how has that been baton, that, that pass it on, been handed down to you? 
And I'm not sure if it's an appeal to the church or an appeal to myself or an appeal to our leadership. We have got to consider how we can be more intentional of the things we have heard, the things we have learned, passing them down on to others that they might know and grow in the faith. That they might have a relationship with God, that they might know His Son Jesus, that they too might have the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving in them. And essentially what Paul is saying here to Timothy, and, and it comes to us and I bring it to you, is that every leader and every person in the church should be able to do some portion of my job. I got that from David Guzik. He talked about another pastor who said, listen, every one of you out there should be able to do what I'm doing. How many churches have you heard of when their pastor resigns, retires, or dies? They're like, we don't know what to do. We don't have a pastor. We've been sitting here for 50 years. And they have not been able to develop somebody in the church who can take what they've learned and take what they've heard and turn around and get up and pass it on. Even at True Life, we, we need to be intentional about succession planning. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm going to Mexico in a, in a week. What would happen if I don't make it back? The good news is you'll be fine. <laughs> we got Pastor Rod. We've got Richard Townsend. We've got Tony Colitz. We've got Dan Hardman. Those are just four. We've got Greg Stevens. We've got Martin, our track coach. I mean, you guys, we've got awesome people. And I'm just picking on some men this morning who could carry the baton and the torch of the ministry. But have you stopped to consider that God might actually want to use you in that way? Like I said, I wanted to be a lawyer. And God grabbed a hold of my heart through that youth ministry course. And that's where I would say I got this call to serve the Lord in this way. Amen. It went from there. In closing... And usually when a pastor says that, there's 10 more minutes to the sermon. <laughs> Going back to youth ministry, I remember the campfire days. And we would gather around the campfire. And in the 70s and early 80s, they would often sing this song. It only takes a spark. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around can warm up in its glowing. That's how it is with God's love once you've experienced it. You spread His love to everyone you want to pass it on. What a wondrous time is spring when all the trees are budding, the birds begin to sing, the flowers start their blooming. That's how it is with God's love once you've experienced it. You want to sing, it's fresh like spring. You want to pass it on. Verse 3 is the last. I wish for you, my friend, this happiness that I've found. You can depend on Him. It matters not where you're bound. I'll shout it from the mountaintop. Then all the youth would say, praise God. <laughs> I want the world to know. The Lord of love has come to me. I want to pass it on. Amen. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Pass it on. Whatever you've heard, whatever you've learned, whatever you've been taught, heard from me, pass it on to your success. And, and, and out of these four men in the colored shirts, I don't know the, the, the guys in the white ones. 
Three of them are still serving the Lord. And the fourth has gotten to be with him. When Caleb and I and my other two, Ben and Zach, we went to Liberty University in 2021. Guy in the middle, the head of the youth ministry program, he's still there. Got to see him in person. I think I got my picture with him and I couldn't find it to share with you. Doug Randlett, he's retired from the university, but he's still serving the Lord in ministry. We're connected on Facebook. Matt Wilmington, the son of Harold Wilmington, who wrote the famous popular 1980 book, uh, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. Matt Wilmington, the guy, he's the guy in the red uh, maroonish shirt. He is just a crack up. He's kind of like David Spade or something, you know, just he's funny and fun. So before we close, as I said, we're closing. I'm going to impart from you something that was given to me. And this will hopefully further help you understand why I am the way I am. Youth 201 taught us that the goal of youth ministry is to develop a culturally acceptable vehicle by which every adolescent can hear the gospel and have an opportunity to spiritually mature. That's why true life might be a little different. If somebody came in this morning and said, um, I'm new here, uh, what do I do, where do I sit? By design, we want comfortable chairs and solid tables, even though not everybody likes solid tables. And some prefer the tables over the chairs. I like a cup of coffee and my Bible open, a notebook out and take notes. But I want people to make themselves at home. And we try to shuffle this around much so that nobody can say this is my pew. And those who want their own pew can sit in it. But that's okay too. You can reserve your seat and move it around. But we want... Sometimes the things we do are designed to minister to those we're trying to reach rather than serve those who are already here. And there's got to be a balance of both. You've got to minister to the needs of the people. And, and by design, that's sometimes one of my flaws. I'm known as a pastor in the community to the community who's kind of out there. But sometimes people can say, well, how do I get in touch with you? You're never around. That's a challenge. Just acknowledge that. I really liked this in my youth ministry training, but it's church ministry training. That There are five levels of ministry. Level one, relationship building. Level two is evangelistic outreach. Level three, beginning discipleship. Level four, leadership development. Level five, leadership reproduction. That some things we do are just purely for fun and fellowship and relationship building. Other times we want our focus to be evangelistic with the gospel presented and a people given an opportunity to respond. Discipleship, though, is growing to be more like Jesus, knowing God's word and going deeper in our faith. And then turning around to develop leaders and seeing leadership reproduced. And that is an area of my weakness that I want to get better on is how can we develop more leaders and you guys be in charge? So every week I t tend to spend a couple hours setting up uh, chairs and sound system that we got an opportunity open for ministry. Just kidding. And then the mop will be available for the next person after church. We had to memorize this. Converted church, uh, craving the word, compassion for the lost, consecration. 
Converted church, craving the word, compassion for the lost, consecration. Converted church, compassion for the, craving the word, compassion for the lost, consecration. That that's what we wanted to see happen in, in a person's life. And, and we could argue that, we could articulate that, explain it better. But the point is, is that spiritual growth is a process of moving in, in a direction. And this is an example that they taught us about spiritual growth, the process. Jesus said, follow me. And then if you got into Rick Warren, you learned that worship, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, and ministry were five purposes of the church. And that a design is to go out into the community and see people drawn in. Crowd decor was, was another philosophy of ministry. And we could look at all those in such detail and, and, and um, break it down even more. But I, I want to end for the second time by saying this. In terms of the people God's used in my life, I, after my first three and a half years of ministry, I went to another church where I was youth pastor. And there was a guy in the church who had grown up in kind of an offshoot group that was so, so rigid. And there were so many rules that you had to keep and days and customs related to worship and diet. And it was so restrictive. And if you didn't follow exactly that, then you were made to know that you fell terribly short. And, and it was such a beat down religion that when he learned about grace, he said, this is where I'm at. This morning, I want to close on the note of grace. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, let's close in a word of prayer. I pray that God may in some way have spoken to you today. And if you look at your life and where you're at right now, maybe you just started on the trail. Maybe you just started on the, the trail of living the Christian life or embarking on faith. Or maybe, maybe you see the trail up ahead and, and you're trying to decide whether to go down it. Maybe you're, you're, you're wondering, you're still not sure, you've got questions, you're looking for answers. I pray that as you see that trail or as you're on it, you would see the love of Jesus. That you would see God's mercy and His saving grace and that you would realize it's not about being perfect. It's all about being forgiven and responding to Christ's offer for salvation and saying, I will follow you. God, forgive me of my sins for they are many and come into my heart and my, my life and make me a new person. I want to follow Jesus and I need your help. Maybe that's you today. And if that is, may, may that just be the cry and prayer of your heart. Maybe, maybe you're midway down the trail and, and it started out fine and you're having a good time, but now it's starting to get difficult. Now the load is heavy, the path is rocky, it's going uphill. Or maybe you see this, this dark and despairing valley and you're not sure. You're not even sure if you want to take the next step. And you would reach out in your heart and you'd cry out to the Lord and say, God, help me. Maybe right now you feel like you need somebody to be there with you and just to give you strength for the journey. Maybe you're, you're praying, God, bring me a person and maybe God would 
do that. Or maybe he'd say, no, I'm going to give you myself. Put your faith in me. Trust in my son. Maybe somewhere through the deep valley, maybe you're going through a health issue or finance issue and you're going through trials and you, you feel the enemy attacking and you'd say, God, I need your power. I need your strength. I need your mercy. I need you to fight these battles for me. I need you to help me through this. I don't know if I can make it. I want to turn back. And maybe whether you're going through that or you're just starting the journey or you're on the other side. Maybe you're just starting the journey and you're like, wait a second, God, I want to go back and get five other people to come with me. I want them to know Jesus too. Maybe you're on the other side and you've made it to a certain destination where you've, you've grown in your faith, you've matured, but you're like, you know what? I need to go back down the trail, go back into my town and grab these others and pull them down that path of following Jesus. I just pray, God, that today, whether it's through the Apostle Paul, whether it's through your word, whether it's through one of us preachers, that whatever the people here have heard, whatever they've learned, whatever they've received, that they would take it and pass it on to others. And so, God, if we're listening to you right now, I pray for each one of us, we'll pause in a moment, and that you would... Give each one the next step in their faith, the next step to take in their walk with you, the next step to take into putting your word into practice. We pause right now, God, to hear your voice. You know where we need help. We know, you know, God, where our faith is wearing thin. You know, God, who we need to go to. Help us pass it on. And so, God, I pray that as we go from here, we would be a little bit more equipped, a little bit more aware, a little bit more motivated and encouraged. That you're with us in the journey. You've given us mentors. You've given us examples. You've given us your word. Help us to now go do it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great day.